Menu and hours online at tavernonmainny.com. And from listeners like you who donate at wjffradio.org. Welcome to the local edition news and information keeping you connected in the Catskills in Northeast Pennsylvania. I'm your host, Jason Dole. And we're right here in the middle of the week. It's Wednesday. We'll be checking in with James B. Huntington for the latest on jobs and the economy. It's Work Shift Live. And there was a jobs report came out just last week, first Friday of the month. So I know we'll definitely be talking about that. Also, our weekly news roundup with Liam Mayo from the River Reporter. Get the latest news from him. Including an update on that White Lake Mansion House project. Let's start off with some news out of Albany, especially stories that we're keeping an eye on here on Radio Catskill. And uh, groups in favor of Governor Kathy Hochul's ambitious plan to build 800,000 new housing units over the next several years met uh, yesterday at the state capitol to show their support for that very proposal. Karen DeWitt has more. Hochul wants to reach her new housing goal by giving each region of the state a minimum number of new housing projects that they'd need to build over the next few years. More housing would be required in downstate regions than in upstate, where the population has not grown as much. The state would pay for 100,000 of the units. The remaining 700,000 would be financed by developers, who would also have new incentives to convert unused office space into residential units and to build multifamily housing near public transit hubs. Kate Slevin, with the newly formed New York Neighbors Coalition, says it's a bold plan that would help address the high cost of housing and the low number of available homes in New York. There needs to be a state uh, leadership when it comes to addressing these problems and that municipalities really need to work with her and work with um, their leaders to ensure that um, the targets that she set forth are implemented. Hochul's plan includes a carrot and stick approach. If local governments work toward their targets, they can receive state funding for infrastructure like sewer and water hookups, and some environmental review requirements could be waived. If they don't meet their goals, though, the state would have the authority to override local zoning laws to ensure that the targets are met. Local governments, including the New York State Conference of Mayors, oppose the state making changes to local zoning. Executive Director Peter Baines, in a statement, says the governor mistakenly lays New York's housing shortage problem at the feet of local officials. And he says state government can't possibly know the needs and conditions of individual communities. Slevin, with the New York Neighbors Coalition, says she knows the proposal will face blowback. But she says other states have already enacted similar plans including the bordering states of New Jersey and Connecticut, and they've eased their housing shortages. These things are always controversial. It's going to be a debate, and it's going to be a a lot of discussion, but we really want something to happen. Senate Housing Committee Chair Brian Kavanaugh, who met with the group, says he's very encouraged that Hochul is putting the focus on what he says is a critical need. The headline here is that we have a governor who has unequivocally said since the fall that... It is the state's role to ensure that we have enough affordable, high-quality housing for everybody and that she, as the governor, is committed to working with us to deliver on that. And I think that's a very big step. Kavanaugh says some of his colleagues do have some skepticism about the state being able to override local government zoning rules, and he says those details will need to be worked out. 
Kavanaugh says other components should also be part of a housing package, including strengthening the state's rental assistance programs and passing a bill he sponsors that would provide housing access vouchers to those in need. And the Senate Housing Committee chair backs the good cause eviction measure. It would prevent landlords from refusing to renew a lease with a tenant unless they've committed a serious violation, like failing to pay rent or breaking the terms of the lease. I certainly expect that that is something that the legislature will be bringing to the table. If we're doing a comprehensive package in the budget, I think that there are many in the legislature, including myself, that think that should be part of the conversation about a comprehensive package. Senator Kavanaugh does not think, though, that a program supported by developers, which provided a tax break for construction projects that include affordable housing, needs to be revived. That program, known as 421A, expired last year after the governor and lawmakers failed to agree on a new program. Hochul did not include a new version in her budget plan, and he says the Senate is not likely to do so. The legislature will hold a hearing to further examine the governor's housing proposals on March 1st. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt. And thanks to senior Albany correspondent Karen DeWitt and the New York State Public Radio Exchange for that report. Now let's turn our gaze to some local news. For that, we go live to the phone for Liam Mayo, the River Reporter. Liam, welcome back to the program. How are you doing? Hi, Jason. Thanks for having me back. I'm doing pretty well. You? Yeah, doing good. Can't believe it's Wednesday already. Um, yeah. So let's let's get right into it. Um, uh, people are talking about that White Lake Mansion. Where are we at? It's a, a it's a proposal for a, a hotel project. Where's that at right now? Yeah, uh, that project um, had its second public hearing, or rather, the second meeting of its public hearing um, this past Monday, February sixth, and. Um, Some of the same concerns got brought up um, from the previous meeting of the public hearing. Um, People were concerned about water, about sewer, about traffic. Um, But the developer's representative, um, the attorney who was there, um, had sort of come prepared with answers to some of the concerns from the first meeting, which a lot of them relied on plans from 2012. So they were saying, hey... We've done these studies on water. Uh, we're going to update the ones from 2012. We're go- we've done these studies on traffic. We're going to update the ones from 2012. We've done these studies on um, sewer. We're, well, sewer is a slightly different thing. My apologies. This was mainly water right. and traffic. Um, so the reason why these studies from 2012 are getting brought up is the property was originally going to get developed as this hotel back in 2013. And a lot of the work for it was done then, but and they're trying to revive the project now. But a lot of residents at the hearing said that the area has pretty much changed too much for those old studies to have use. Um, residents were kind of saying that, like, it, it 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 seemed to be like more was needed than just an update of earlier studies. Like yeah. the traffic up here is just very different. The um, local watershed is under different stresses or more stresses than were back in 2012. So uh, there just seemed to be a gap between the where the developer was willing to get to and sort of the sentiment of the room. Why would a developer, uh, I don't want to make you speculate, but it, it doesn't sound usual to me that somebody would try to 
to bring up 11-year-old studies for a current proposal. Is there any indication why they went that route? Is it just to save money or something? Um, I, I mean, not to speculate about their motives either, but um, one of the, I think the case they've made throughout is that this is the same project that was uh, developed back in 2013. Uh, they tried to sort of have this looked at as a reapproval of that earlier pr- approval from back in 2013 and to kind of construct the process appropriately and update the process project for stuff that has changed in the preceding years, like uh, different rules and different understandings around invasive species, to take one example. Um, but at the heart, they kind of think it's the same project from 2013. Um, but that's not really how the board is seeing it, I think, and that isn't isn't definitely how um, people in the crowd are seeing it. They're trying to have it be viewed as an entirely new application. Um, And going by what you're saying now, the developer is basically saying, okay, well, all right, then we'll we'll do those studies now. Yes, but he's still approaching, the developer's still approaching it from the sense of like, oh, we're going to update... um, the, the stuff we've already done where there was, I think the sentiment was a little more like, oh, that's not going to be enough. Like, it, we, we're trying to start from scratch. Um, and the end result was that the board um, closed the public hearing and started this much longer process of, like, trying to get more and more specific information from the developers. Mm. Um, I think they specifically mentioned a site plan, um uh, specific well water studies to make sure it wouldn't damage surrounding neighbors' wells. Um, and it's unclear how long all of that is going to take, but um, they had the developer waive a 62-day limit that would normally trigger at the end of a public hearing. So this is definitely going to take a little longer than that. All right. And, you know, uh, when there's additional steps in this story, we'll be revisiting it then. And I hope for further updates on it, because people have been asking about that building. It's right there. Uh, the, the mansion, the White Lake Mansion. Um, Liam, it's been a while since we've talked about uh, Pennsylvania politics, politics in the Commonwealth, politics in Harrisburg, in the Capitol. Governor Josh Shapiro took office in PA. He's been issuing executive orders What's he up to, and has there been a response? Yeah, um, so one of the things that he's been up to is he's been issuing a couple of executive orders, and at least the the ones that he's publicized um, organize around um, sort of making Pennsylvania a little bit friendlier for workers and for um, just the business climate. Um, there were three in particular that uh, were publicized. Um, one removes a, or one states that effective immediately, 92% of Commonwealth jobs will not require a four-year degree and will instead sort of prioritize equivalent experience, um, sort of lowering uh, the barrier for access to these government jobs to, for people who may not have like had the full four-year degree option available to them. Um, the other, Another one was creating the Office of Transformation and Opportunity, which uh, he described as 
a one-stop shop to cut through red tape. Um, just, I guess, helping businesses like deal with uh, government restrictions that can be fairly onerous at times. Um, and then there was a one around licensing and permitting where the governor's office will review uh, all of the permits and the licenses that are handed out by um, the Commonwealth's agencies. And after that review, it will put in place for each permit or for each license a date certain by which that permit or license must be um, applied or given out. So say the deadline will be 90 days for when, from when you applied for the license or 120 days. And if the agency isn't able to get you that license before that deadline, it'll have to refund you your application money. Um, so it's a lot of changes, potentially, um, or just a lot of little things that could help the Commonwealth work better. All right. And this sounds like the sort of thing where actually, like the last story, I said, oh, I'd like a like us to follow up on that down the road. This one, I'd actually like uh, James B. Huntington, your neighbor, to follow up on on WorkShift Live yeah. one week. So I'll I'll let him know what's going on in PA. Maybe we'll get his assessment of it on a future edition of WorkShift Live. Before we get to this week's WorkShift Live, we have uh, just a couple minutes left. Liam, can you talk about there's this glitch from PPL Electric Utilities led some customers receive really excessively high bills in January, some even double or, or triple the amount that they'd usually pay. Could you tell us what they're saying this glitch is, what people's reaction are to it, and where what area do they cover? Because I'm not familiar with that company. Um, I believe it covers um, a certain amount of area in northeastern PA. I'm not myself familiar with their exact uh, coverage range. Um, but this is something that's had a lot of uh, representatives for, like, Wayne and Pike counties and for northeastern Pennsylvania um, mm. putting their attention to it because their constituents were having these issues. Um the glitch itself was, um, according to Representative Joe Adams, former Wayne County Commissioner Joe Adams, that um, they es- the company estimated its bills in December incorrectly. And then when it got the real accurate numbers in January, it kind of merged those two together, um, causing just a lot of strife for uh, the residents who were affected. Um, and, uh, sort of adding on to that, uh, there were large, longer than expected delays when people were trying to call in. So it was harder for people to, um, figure out what was happening and they would, so they would just get these bills that were much higher than they expected and they didn't really know why, and they didn't really have access to, the resources to figure out why. So the company eventually put out a statement explaining it um, and is, I believe, attempting to fix the situation as best it can. All right. Well, I want to thank you for bringing that to our attention and giving us the latest uh, news on our weekly news roundup. And we'll talk to you again uh, next week. Liam, thank you so much. Thanks. Looking forward to seeing you then. Okay, we're going to take a quick, quick break. When we come back, it'll be time for WorkShift Live with James B. Huntington.
You're listening to The Local Edition, winner of two Excellence in Broadcasting Awards from the New York State Broadcasters Association. Radio Catskill. Listen local. What I saw when we took to the streets and protested in 2020 was anger. And that anger was absolutely needed, and I think it was justified. But what I did not see was a plan. Solomon Jones, author of the book, Ten Lives, Ten Demands, and a Black Activist's Blueprint for Racial Justice. The Janice Adams Show, Saturday at noon. Well, here we are. Tie time to go over the latest on jobs and the economy around our listening area, around the country, around the world. For that, we turn to James B. Huntington for Work Shift Live. And I say right now, hello, James. Good evening, Jason. Good evening, listeners. Working Well, James, uh, last week, uh, last Friday was the first Friday of the month. Uh, I think that means jobs report, right? Yes, we had it, and it was another good one. We had 517,000 new net farm positions, which was about triple what the estimate was that was published in a lot of places. We had adjusted unemployment down another 0.1% to reach 3.4%. That's the lowest it's been since 1969. We have wages going up 21 cents a month to achieve more than inflation once again. We have the two measures of how common it is for Americans to really be working or just one step away, which are the employment population ratio and the labor force participation rate. We had both of those going up 0.1%, which is a meaningful amount. 60.2 and 62.4 percent. In the American job shortage number area, we have this indicator of latent demand for work going up substantially, mainly because the AJSN is not seasonally adjusted. So that is now at 16.7 million. It may be more meaningful that a year ago it was over a million higher. So it is January is a month most likely for people to lose their jobs temporarily seasonal things and many of them will not get one back. So but overall an excellent jobs report. Okay, and that's kind of what I was generally hearing. Um what what do you think it means that we've had so many of these good job reports in a row? What does that mean overall for the country? Well, it means we're not having a recession. We're not heading into a recession. We're gaining more and more jobs. Understand that population is increased. Last month, only 113,000, and we got four times as many new jobs. That's a real indicator that there are more and more that are not being absorbed by more people moving here. So it's all just very positive for everything. You combine that with inflation, which is dropping by the month, and in fact is only about 2% if you figure the change for only the past six months. And we're really in very good overall shape right now. 
Yeah, uh, you know, inflation, uh, and again, I'm just going by what I heard you know, people talking about on NPR and All Things Considered earlier this afternoon, mentioning, you know, how uh, you know inflation basically peaked sometime the, the summer, a little after last year, been going down since then. Uh, gas prices, kind of the same thing. Of course, they always fluctuate. Are you looking at any other numbers that can tell you how our economy is doing uh, towards the end of last year as we head into, into this new year? Well, we have, yes, we have a report showing that our economy showed momentum at the end of the year. We have fourth quarter after inflation GDP increasing at an annual rate of 2.9%, which is quite strong. We have a lot of things indicating improvement. The real domestic, the real gross domestic product, or yeah, the gross, real gross domestic product is really quite meaningful and gives us a lot of things. We uh, we have sales, consumer spending going up again, two point one percent annual rate increase in the fourth quarter, which is good because people are really drawing down the money they got during COVID, and people are using credit cards more. Overall, it's doing quite well. So we're not looking at any bad situation right around the corner, according to these numbers, either. Mm. And again, that kind of comports with what you've been saying right along. Yes. Well, it's, it's, we really seem to be continuing good times and it is going to be about the softest of soft landings the way it's going and the way it has gone all right a few weeks ago maybe it was towards the end of last year we talked about uh quiet quitting going on and i think we discovered that quiet quitting is by another name is essentially kind of like just doing the job you were hired to do um what's quiet hiring now this is a new one by me what's quiet hiring Yes, it's a strategy companies are using to fill in holes without hiring full-time employees. Generally, what they're doing more than anything else is giving more work to existing employees. They're also reorganizing some people. It may not be good if people are just given more work unless they didn't have much before, but it's unquestionably good that they are, as this piece put it, looking at the talent they have across the organization and where the critical gaps are and finding ways to fill those. For once, something I've thought companies did not do enough of at all, they're looking at existing employees and polling them, finding out what skills they have, what other things they could do without hiring people with fancy new credentials. That was something that Townsend said and up the organization that if you promote from within, if you grab someone who has looks like they're fifty percent of the job, maybe they may look they may add the other fifty percent as they move along, they may grow into the position. Whereas hiring someone who looks like a hundred and ten percent of what you want, that may go down to fifty percent after a lot of the air and such is let out. So and you still have to give them training, at least to orient to the given uh, task yeah. at hand, even if they do appear to be 110% coming in. You'll still have to expend that energy and time. 
Yes, you do, and that's expensive. It costs a lot of money. I mean, ask any business what how expensive it is to bring on new employees, and you get some remarkable answers if you're not hip to these things already. So it's quiet, quiet hiring could be good or bad. It probably will be combinations of, mo- of both, but as businesses want to hire people less, want to bring in new people for less, it will help them get things done, and it will help them identify things where they truly do have skills gaps, and they truly do not have anyone who can do these things instead of just making assumptions about that. So in that way, it's favorable. I think if they yeah. manage it well, quiet hiring will be just fine. Yeah, it sounds like you're saying there's there's a number of different ways it could go. It's almost like it's a spectrum of, uh, you know, uh, ranging from mutually beneficial to potentially exploitative and the workers need to be aware of it so that they don't uh, get more put upon them than they deserve and you're saying the i'm saying that's the employees the workers need to make sure they're not being given more than they can handle you're saying employee employers need to realize they've got opportunity within yes and if they do both things with emphasis on giving more work to people who don't have enough work right now this could be very favorable Okay, and now moving moving on, um, uh, technology companies are suffering. Uh, you know, I, I know we don't talk about uh, the layoffs because you, you, you've told you said before on air that kind of comes out in the wash. But I have heard about more tech layoffs, and it makes me wonder how those tech companies are doing, and if they're having a rough time, why? Well, one thing we're not seeing is a result of the higher interest rates. Now that rates have gone up for about the past year. It's the very cheap money that a lot of tech companies were getting from venture capitalists is drying up. And that has had an amazing effect in puffing up values. One thing cited here is Carvana, which has at one point had an $80 billion market capitalization. They're the ones who had these car vending machines, these big towers yeah. where you could walk in and buy a car and such things. They were looking great a while ago. Now, their sales are not off very much, but their market cap has gone down from $80 billion to $1.5 billion because all of their money before was sustained by venture capitalists people lending the money for a piece of the action and such things. Now those venture people are seeing that all they have to do is invest things in a money market savings account, for example, and they can get the kind of returns without all this risk. So a lot of it is still around, but that's what's hurting a lot of these companies right now, and they will have to adjust really, to not having so much capital available, because it won't be without them paying, in many cases, market rates for the money. Is, is that drop-off in venture capital something that's happening uh, in other areas as well? Is it something you're aware of that that's kind of going on right now? I'm sure it is, but tech companies are really the front lines. They're the people, they're the companies that investors will think of, you know, I could, you know, decouple my money if I buy the right one or even more than that, that's really where a lot of the emotion is. 
but there certainly are in other areas, although I think the, and we're not hearing as much about planned layoffs or whatever in other areas, right, although I'm right. sure that companies of different kinds, when they're losing their venture capital, even in other areas, are going to be laying off people and seeing market capitalization drops. Sounds like tech companies are an area where you've got this overlap between um, some high roller, high risk potential for investors uh, overlapping with uh, a healthy and vibrant industry. Yes, and sometimes that line can be remarkably blurred when something is puffed up, if, if a company is propped up by easy money and they are going to be going through a lot of it in the next months or years, they may be rated a lot lower when that money is not around anymore. And in the example of Carvana, too, I mean, what they had in last year and the year before that was a skyrocketing used car prices, uh, and it makes you wonder if they're going to be uh, facing an even steeper climb if that starts to uh, uh, correct itself in coming years. Yes, that's another thing. They may be caught holding the bag. They may have bought a lot of used cars at high prices. Yeah. It's not as big a factor as the market capitalization problem, but it is something they're probably facing, and likewise, you know, times change. Well, believe it or not, James, we've talked ourselves right to the end of another edition of WorkShift Live, and I want to thank you once again for giving us the latest on jobs and the economy. Thank you, James. Thank you, Jason. Thank you, listeners. Okay, do stay tuned, because coming up, it's Let's Talk Vets right here on Radio Catskill. We are public radio for the Catskills, Northeast Pennsylvania. WJFF Jeffersonville, W233AH Monticello. Do stay tuned for Let's Talk Vets, followed by Retro Cocktail Hour, coming right up at uh, um, at 8 o'clock as well. It's another great Wednesday night here for you. I'm glad you're here for it with us. Keep your radio on. We will keep you connected, and Local Edition will be back tomorrow.